Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple truth about God's family, the church. If you pawn something, you can redeem it within a certain amount of time. It's yours. But if you pass that time of redemption, someone else can come in and buy it. They don't redeem it. They buy it because it was never theirs. You understand? We belong to God. That's why He has all the right to redeem us, the people of God. They are the community of God's redeemed. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The world is full of religions and belief systems. In fact, they're often at the center of many conflicts and controversies. But what makes the family of God so unique? That's the question Pastor Xavier begins with as he kicks off this brand new Simple Truth series, The Nature of the Church. Let's join him for the first challenging message, What is the Church? We want to begin our series regarding the church to help us understand what the Bible teaches about the church in order that we might walk according to the knowledge and be effective to glorify God as His church. I often tell you, don't just go to church, but be the church, because too many people go to church, and they go for church for many crazy reasons. Too many today are attempting to change the nature of the church in order to be culturally relevant and politically correct at the expense of the biblical nature of the church. There are many metaphors that are used in scriptures, as you know, to describe the church, each giving a perspective of her nature in relationship to Jesus Christ, such as the city of God, the temple of God, the family of God, just to mention a few. There are many others. We are even called the army of God, soldiers of God. And so what we want to do is um, look at the nature of the church by asking three basic questions for our first study. First, what is meant by the church? And we want to go to the scriptures to find out. Secondly, what is the developed concept of the church? And we'll trace it from the gospels on down to the epistles in the book of Acts. And then thirdly, What is the church to do? And we should get all our answers from the scriptures, what the scriptures declare. Let's begin here. What is meant by the church? The misunderstanding of what the church is by some people is most interesting. Some say the church is a place where religious and old people go to find some comfort. You know, when they have one foot in a banana peeling, one in the grave, ready to check out. And for the most part, their observation is correct because very few young people are ever at church on Sunday morning. Others say the church is a place where people go to escape reality, believing Christians are gullible, foolish to believe in the God, believing that Christians also are too idealistic and are the real problem to society. And that's becoming more evident in this decade. They're intolerant, judgmental to alternate lifestyles. So really, Christians are the problem, as they always have been in every generation and throughout history. And still others view the church by their denomination, attempting um, to convert everyone to their own particular belief. Instead of making disciples of Jesus, they make disciples after themselves. Oftentimes they are 
the modern-day Pharisees uh, and hucksters that rip off the people of God. And then some say that the church is really an organization that raises money. And you have to um, agree with the world at this point because for all the begging that goes on on radio and television, all the uh, letters that go out, you, you can't fault them. Churches spend entire programs on raising money, on pressuring people, gimmicks, programs to manipulate and fleece the people of God. Where if the word of God is taught, then the people are going to be directed by God. God takes care of that. Now notice that each of these define the church by what it does rather than what it is. They're looking at what they're doing, and they say that's the church, but it isn't. That's not what the church is. The observations are accurate, but they're not judging it by the standard in the word of God. That's the problem. The word uses the word for church, ecclesia, in the New Testament. And it's a very appropriate one. It's made up of two words, ek, meaning out, and kaleo, to call. So the word is used by the Greeks to describe a civil assembly of people as in Athens. And it was characterized by the following. They were citizens with power to declare war, peace, elect generals, and raise funds. Interesting. They began with prayer and sacrifice. They later used the word in a wider sense for the convened assembly of citizens as is used in the book of Acts when they were called in question as to their assembly in Acts 19, 32, 39, and 41 where the riot broke out at Ephesus, remember? Now the word ecclesia describes and identifies the people who were, have been, and will be called out from the world by the Holy Spirit of God when they hear the voice of God through the proclamation of the gospel. No one can be convinced into the kingdom of God. No one can be convinced to become a Christian. It comes through the conviction of the Spirit of God as the gospel is preached. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance, not simply to call sinners. Mark 2.17. He didn't just say, sinners, sinners. No. He said, repent. Jesus calls a person to respond, not merely believe, for devils believe, and at least they tremble. James 2.19 tells us that. Peter tells us that we are to be even more diligent to make our calling and election sure in 2 Peter 1.10. And then Paul the Apostle in Romans 8.30 says that, Moreover whom he predestined, those he also called. Now there is no contradiction between the two. We've gone through this over and over again. The predestination and the response of the believer. They're complementary truths. No contradiction. They are the people of God. They are the community of God's redeemed. The very word redeem implies that we belong to God. For through the fall, we became lost, separated from God. But it is much like when you pawn something. Yeah, pawn shops. If you pawn something, you can redeem it within a certain amount of time. It's yours. It was yours. It's still yours. But if you pass that time of redemption, someone else can come in and buy it. They don't redeem it. They buy it because it was never theirs. You understand? 
We belong to God. That's why he has all the right to redeem us, <laughs> but never against our will. If you fail to redeem something, you lose the right. Now, we might fail to redeem it within time, but God will never. The lack of redemption is not on God's part. It's on the part of man's response. Now, the word church, ecclesia, appears 115 times through the various books of the New Testament, Ecclesia. The book of Acts, 24 times. Hebrews, two times. James, one time. Third John, three times, that little epistle. And in Revelation, 20 times. The Gospels, it is found only three times. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Let me say that again. I will build my church. Fuller Seminary down here teaches church growth. Jesus said, I will build my church. <laughs> you understand? Now, who am I going to believe? Church growth or the Bible? It's also used for church discipline two times in Matthew 18, 17. Those are the only three times it's found in in the gospel in Matthew. You would think you would find the word church in the gospel a lot more. It only three times. Now the concept and idea throughout the New Testament is clear and unmistaken. The church belongs to Jesus. Our English word that relates to church as his is the Greek word which is pronounced kirkikos, which means belonging to the Lord. The word appears two times in the New Testament. Uh, the first time is in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty to identify the Lord's Supper. That's the word. The second time to identify Sunday, the Lord's Day in Revelation 1, 10. Paul told the Ephesian elders, if you remember, Christ is the one who purchased the church with his own blood in Acts 20, 28. It is his church. He purchased it with his own blood. The implication is he died for her. We do not own the church. We cannot increase the church. The church does not belong to me. Sometimes people say, yeah, I went to your church. And I understand what they're saying, but you're not my church. I tell you, you don't belong to me. In fact, I am one of you. I belong to him. <laughs> now, the church is said to be the bride of Christ also. The marriage metaphor has been used throughout the Old Testament for your maker is your husband. Again, the family correlates with the series here on the church. And you find that in Isaiah 54, 5. In Isaiah 62, 5, it says, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea, a great prophet that was called Mary Gomer. <laughs> where she played unfaithful and she went into harlotry. Hosea 2, 7 and 19. Hosea was to redeem his wife who had sold herself to harlotry and used by God for the, her, his relationship to Israel and redemption in the future in a loving kindness, steadfast love. That God loves her so much he would redeem her in the future, the remnant. He would forgive her. Israel is the wife of God, divorced. The church is a chaste virgin looking to be married. Do not confuse Israel with the church. 
Israel's the wife put away, the church is the bride, virgin, looking for a wedding. You understand? The two are distinct, obvious, and consistent in the scripture. Yet, in spite of the clarity, the majority of churches teach that we are spiritual Israel and God is through with Israel, completely contradicting the scripture. The marriage metaphor of the bride continues in the New Testament. Though there are many other metaphors, that of a bride is the most intimate and binding experience which we can identify with. For once you have entered marriage, your life is changed forever. But it's the most intimate, the closest. The imagery of marriage is to bring thoughts into our minds of a husband, a wife, attraction, love, commitment, passion, understanding, communication, sacrifice, failure, forgiveness, dying to self. That's what it's all about. Jesus used the figure of, of a marriage in his parable of the wedding feast. Remember that that king arranged a marriage for his son, and he likened it to the kingdom of heaven to communicate the his purpose of his coming, to call people to himself in Matthew 22. 1 through 14. All made light of the invitation, if you remember. Speaking of the Jewish nation, he was pointing them out. His servants were sent out to the highways, as you know, to invite people. Speaking of the Gentiles. The wedding garments provided were to be worn by that person. But one did not, and he was cast out. Speaking of eternal damnation for not submitting to the righteousness that God provides, attempting to establish your own righteousness. The message was regarding salvation as God's gift, providing our needed righteousness. We stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all that he is, all that he did. For me, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's his church. Now, Paul tells us that through the death of Jesus Christ, the Jews were dead to the law and now free to marry another, namely Christ, to bring forth fruit unto God in Romans 7, 4. Because the law condemned man. The law pointed out his guilt. He's guilty before God. The gospel of grace saves man provides the provisions to be accepted and justified before God. You know, in my 30-some years of ministry, I've done many weddings, and I have never seen one, one bride dragged up to the altar, kicking and yelling. They've all walked up all on their own with the greatest smile on their faces. They've been longing for that day. That is the church of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. She comes of her own by conviction. And she keeps herself looking for her groom. And when he calls, she will answer. The figure of the bride reaches its climax in the book of Ephesians, where the relationship of husband to wife are placed side by side with Christ in the church. A great mystery in Ephesians 5, 21 down to 33. 
The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, evident by dying for her. Now, that's a tall order. More than that, it's an impossible order. So that means that I, as a husband, have to draw from Christ. I can't do it myself. The church as a bride and her relationship united to Christ is a spouse as a chaste virgin, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven two, And her purity is not her own, by the way. Our righteousness has been imputed to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. None of us can wear that gown, ladies and gentlemen. We're all sinners. Her purity is given to her by virtue of Christ giving himself for her. His word purifies his church and will present her without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. This type of love is to cause us to be enamored with Christ and to love him forever. The bride in her submission and her attitude of submission towards Christ is uncompromising in everything Ephesians 5.24 says. The word subject there is hupotassel. You recall that's a military term that means to line up under. All who have served the military know that when they salute, they salute the rank, not the man. So this word, a military term, never implies inferiority for the woman. For Christ is said to have hupotassoed himself to the Father in his creative order for the redemption of man in 1 Corinthians 11.3. So if we're going to take that word and say that the woman's inferior by then, then we have to conclude that Christ is inferior to the Father. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Hupotasso is submission for effectiveness and efficiency, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it's for. It is in response to his love by giving himself for his bride. Christ is the head of the church to protect, provide, and the plan for her future, even as a husband does so for his wife, even preparing for her future, if he should die first. The espousal was a good, or as good, and as binding as marriage. In the pledge of expectation of her future groom, you see, it was as binding. Paul reveals this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, that Christ will come for his church as he removes her from this earth and she is harpuzzled, caught up together in the air to meet the Lord. He has betrothed us, engaged himself to us. He will come for us. John reveals the long-awaited day of Christ's return to set up the kingdom in Revelation 19, 6-9 with his bride arrayed in white. When Jesus returns in chapter 19 of Revelation, we come back with him to set up the kingdom. We're in white. We just come from the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're coming back to the earth for our thousand-year honeymoon. (laughs) John comments in Revelation 19.9, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Westcott makes a comment on Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. He says, quote, He loved the church not because it was holy, 
but in order to make it holy by union with himself. The husband's love must bear the same test and overcome all failings of his wife. She is part of him as Christians are of Christ and claims the same tender affection with Christ bestows on the church. An incredible parallel. If a person understands the nature of the church from the scriptures, then they will be able to reject and expose any and all teachings that do violence to the nature of the church at any point in history because the scriptures are always the same. They haven't changed. At any place in the world, you can be dropped anywhere in the world, and if you're grounded and you go to church somewhere, you'll be able to make a judgment sitting in the pew whether that person, that pastor is teaching the word of God accurately or not. You have the mind of Christ. You have the spirit of Christ. You have the word of God. What is the problem? So this is what the church is according to the Bible. Second question is what is the development concept of the church? Paul is the person who we are indebted to for this development and the concept of the church as we know it in the scriptures, especially from his prison epistles, Ephesians and Colossians. They're rich. Everyone in the church has equal standing in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6 says. Every one of us here were accepted in the beloved. No one was ever accepted on their own. (laughs) Well, they they were kind of good. They didn't need the beloved. No, they did. We all came the same way. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23 and 5, 23. All are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. Everybody. All are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 10. All are one in Christ. The middle wall of partition has been broken down between the Jew and Gentile or any other cultural and racial and economic boundary. Ephesians 2, 14. It makes no difference. God didn't save you because you were wealthier than someone else. You understand? He saves sinners. Now they come in different colors, different sizes, different nationalities. But the common denominator is we're sinners. Do you remember how difficult it was to find common denominators and fractions? (laughs) But once it clicked, it was great. The beauty is that Jesus is the common denominator. All sinners can trust him. Regardless of how moral you were or how evil you were, he's sufficient. He's the common denominator. All of the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20. All individuals and collectively comprise the temple of God, Ephesians 2.21 and 22. My body is the temple of God, but where two or three are gathered, that's the church, that's the temple of God collectively you understand all have access to the full knowledge about the church the mystery hidden in Christ for ages till the New Testament Ephesians 3 9 so the church was not clearly revealed in the Old Testament it's called a mystery but now the word mystery in the New Testament comes from the root word mouth to to shut the mouth it means now it's clearly revealed there's no mystery it's Jew and Gentile one in Christ Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Pastor Xavier Reese has been illustrating the biblical view comparing the commitment in marriage to the importance of holding the bride of Christ, the church, 
in high regard. And you can request a copy of today's crucial study called What is the Church? As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And the message you'll receive will contain the complete, uninterrupted presentation. The title to ask for once again is What is the Church? Or simply mention today's date when you write. The entire series, The Nature of the Church, is also available bundled into an eight-message album or single MP3 disc. In it, Pastor Xavier discusses topics like the distinguishing marks of the church, the vision of the church, even opposition occurring within the church. Receive all eight messages of the Nature of the Church series on CD for the one low cost of just $26, or on a single MP3 disc for only $14. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. It goes without saying that everyone expects the bride to be faithful to the groom. But what happens when the church, Christ's bride, goes astray? We'll find out on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com